Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. So often we focus on the athletes who make it to the Olympics, but we forget that there was an entire support team that got them there. And today we talk with Mitch Dalton, who was with Team USA. He was part of the team that identified promising swimmers. And now he is part of the coaching staff at the University of Texas, which is one of the storied programs in uh, NCAA Division I college swimming. Mitch, this is one of my favorite interviews, I have to say. Mitch is so honest and so real. He talks about his personal life and the the ramifications of pursuing his dreams of that. He also talks about the uh, just the, the heterosexual um, energy that surrounds so much of sports and something that I've found in my own, own sports experience that kind of makes you at times think, do I really belong here? Mitch is open and honest and real. And like I said, this is one of my favorite interviews that I've done on this podcast. Anyhow, check out this conversation with University of Texas swim coach, Mitch Dalton. I'm here with Mitch Dalton. Well, I'm not actually here with Mitch Dalton. Mitch is in Austin, Texas. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Mitch, you... On your website, you have a, a little kind of tagline that says, dream big, work big. What's your dream? Ooh, I mean, I feel like it's ever-changing. Um, you know, it, it, when I first started in my professional career, I sat down with a mentor and I wrote out this big dream list, right, and how I was going to get there with long-term goals, short-term goals, and it was, um, you know, to be on staff uh, at the Olympic Games. And I'm not really sure if that's still my dream. I think I'm more interested in getting getting athletes there and having them realize their dreams. So it's changed a little bit, um, but uh, that's sort of where I'm at these days. Do you still have that piece of paper? Do you update it? Yeah, I don't. I don't update it so much. To me, it's more of like a. It's pretty cool when I look back on it because. Um, it's cool to like look and see, wow, you've actually done some of these things. Uh, you know, it started off with in the short term goal it was while I was coaching at Princeton and it was like, you know, steps to get there, get a good recruiting class, get a top 10 recruiting class, get a top five recruiting class, um, place it NC2As with the team and, and kind of move forward through there. And then um, I kind of did things a different way with being on an international staff, but at USA Swimming, it did it. So it is kind of cool to look back and be like, whoa, this like 25 year old who didn't really know a thing about the world and was a, a shell of the guy who I think I am now. Uh, he still had some plans and had some dreams and it's cool to, to see that they were actually realized, but I do still have it. Um, I seem to find it every time I'm making a move and usually end up texting it to my mentor and uh, just to be like, thanks for coaching me through this. And yeah, that's pretty cool. You, you've moved around a lot since college and so yeah. i imagine that that paper keeps resurfacing um and i mean you've worked all over the country uh, you even worked with estonia which i found interesting um yeah. how is how is the work i mean you're talking about working big how and moving around a lot how has this affected your your personal life and just your ability to 
to date and have friends? Hmm. Uh, it, it's been challenging. No, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, you know, my, my role at USA Swing, um, I was probably on the road. It wouldn't be unusual to be on the road two to three weeks out of the month. I would say a, a slow month was I was going at least a week. So you know, I sort of move out. I was living in Colorado Springs until recently. So, you know, dating life for a gay guy in Colorado Springs wasn't the most happening place. Um, so I'd usually have to go to Denver and I'd so usually have a great first date. And some, you know, and maybe it'd be like early May. And um, I would say to someone, hey, this is awesome. We should do it again. They're like, that would be awesome. When can we do it? And I'd say, August 20th is open for me. How about you? <laughs> so like, peace, man. We, it's a long time to go. So just the travel on the road's been hard. Um, you know, for me, the, the friendship piece has definitely been more important to me um, just because I think that, that that's sort of what has guided me through big transitions in my life. And uh, I really think relationships matter and you have to hold on to the ones that are important to you. So, you know, I think if there's any athletes listening, you sort of go through college and you're, you're told this thing where it's like, Hey, everyone on your team are going to be at your wedding. They're going to be there when your kids are born. You're going to be best friends. And you sort of realize around 24, 25, 26, like that's not sustainable. Some of these people were just my teammates, but you start to give a crap about the people you really give a crap about, you know? And uh, so that's sort of been me. I think I've got a, a group of like 15 or so people that, um, I've maybe added a couple since graduating college um, that have been through like either boarding school or college or, you know, through through my uh, different places I've worked that have just sort of been like, I think in the gay community, we use the term chosen family a lot. They're sort of my chosen family. But um, yeah, that's sort of the where I've leaned to, to to sort of have that support and fulfillment. When I left college, about a year later, I came out and within a couple of years, all of my college friends had pretty much disappeared from my life. And I just, you know, became immersed in the gay community. And that's what we called it at the time, the gay community mm -hmm. and you yeah. know, gay sports leagues and, and hanging out, making new friends and dating. And um, have you found ways to immerse yourself in the gay community, the LGBTQ community and, 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 you know, what role have like other gay athletes and coaches played in that? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I feel like we have this pressure as gay men to um, conform to sort of one idea of what that looks like. Like we're all getting together and maybe we're all watching RuPaul or something, you know, and it's like, just because we have those things that we do that are fun, like we kind of need to fall into those, those stereotypes, which is kind of what I love about the LGBT community is that like stereotypes are shut out the window. So I haven't found that yet. Um, I'm not sure what that looks like for me. I want to immerse myself in it more. Um, one of the guys that I coach with here in Texas is also an out man. And we've, we've both been talking about that. Like how can we kind of lean into, um, like the LGBT community more and like explore that. Um, but I think the way that I've done it is, is less about being in, in groups and it's been more about like one-on-one -on -one relationships, like with other coaches that are out or closeted, um, other athletes that I know that are out um, and, and just maintaining friendships with them has, has been big, but I didn't come out till I was 29. So um, I think a big part of, you know, what I just mentioned with my friend groups 
we're all based in these like pretty heteronormative spaces. So um, I love those people. They're dear to me. They support me so well, but um, I'm really enjoying sort of making relationships with, uh, you know, people from the LGBT community um, in, in the space of, of athletics too, because there is a really interesting intersectionality there. Well, there's tons of people. It's, it's you know, the number of people. Uh, I uh, Outsports has written more coming out stories than any other publication in the world. And, and that isn't yeah. coming out in sports. That's coming out because yeah. we realized years ago that, you know, people and people still today, some people have this idea that being LGBTQ and particularly being a gay man in sports is odd or different or unique and it's not there are so right. many men who are out in sports yeah and, yeah and, and i i i didn't mean to like throw shade at the the rupaul scene by the way i definitely watch it all the time <laughs> um, oh, yeah. i love it but you know but I, I i think that um it does look a little bit different you know like one of the the guys that i love so dearly and i don't i don't know if he's ever been on out sports or but everyone in the swimming community will know this man you know, Bob Platt, he coaches at Scottsdale in Arizona. I mean, he is, I mean, he's older than me. And he, when he was coming out, it was, I don't know if he ever was coming out or he was just out. He's just always been so bold and courageous. But when he was a younger coach, you know, it was at the height of like the AIDS epidemic. And it's listening to like the way he talks about it and the things that he had to do to like fight for it. He was in sport at a very different time. And it's really cool now to talk to him and just, just not have that be a thing. I mean, there's still barriers. Yes, there's still things we have to be aware of and keep putting the gas on the accelerator for. But um, it's just in just in his coaching career, it's changed so much. I didn't think you were throwing shade at RuPaul's Drag Race. I personally, Good. yeah, I don't want any comments. I can't. Like, <laughs> I can't stand that show. I just I've tried to get into it. I can't stand it. Yeah. It's not me. But there are other stereotypes that I fall into. I love dance music and I used to hate it and, and it's just grown on me and now it's all that I listen to so and then I you know I'm, I'm a football referee so there are stereotypes I fit into there are stereotypes I don't fit into and and that's okay yeah one of the one of the things that I found I find interesting about sports is is the unique role that I have seen swimming and diving play at outsports because they're they're there is no sport where more people or more men at the college and elite levels have come out than swimming and diving. And, and mm -hmm. I don't even think it's close. Uh, why is that? I guess I have some more questions before you say that. When, when you look at the numbers on the, I don't know if you remember numbers off the top of your head or anything like that, but is it, you know, we homogenize swimming and diving as a sport. Have you noticed it more in swimming or more in diving or is it equal? How is that sort of? I don't know. Am I, my, off the top of my head, I would say it would be more swimming. Um, there are simply more swimmers, a lot more swimmers than divers. Sure. So, yeah. you know, it's a, a diving team may have what, four, six people and a swimming team could have 50. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure the reason, to be honest. I would love to give you an answer that's like, oh, it's because our sport is so inclusive and um, we, we just don't have the barriers that our sports have. I don't know that to be true. 
that was certainly was not my experience growing up. Um, I know it's a lot different now just in talking with athletes. Even in my last job where I was working with predominantly 14 to 20-year-olds, um, I just found it to be way more inclusive and, and it, it was so refreshing to be in that space and sort of like see people just be who they are and be accepted, um, which was awesome. So I would like to think that that is a, a, a microcosm of our community in swimming. Um, I think the realist in me is, is saying like, look, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, but I do think that there's some, some really good work that's being done at both the NGB level with USA Swimming and then, you know, trickling down through the education with, with coaches, with LSCs, the sort of local groups around where all the clubs are. That's not just, you know, Colorado Springs, the headquarters, um, but an effort's being made. And you know, a couple of years ago, we started doing these like stickers at USA Swimming that were just sort of the lane line rainbow flags. And I can't tell you, I think that took so much pressure off coaches to like feel like they needed to sit down with their teams every year, every week or every month and have this like, this is an inclusive environment speech. And it's not to say that those stickers are, should ever be in place of conversations like that. But I also know from talking with athletes, it's like, man, when my coach had that on their water bottle or my teammates had it on their water bottle, oof, it was just easier. Or even when I would visit a team and I would see a bunch of athletes with that on their water bottle. I mean, me as somebody coming there that was supposed to have like legitimate power in the sport, I felt like I had more permission to be on deck. So I do think we, we've come a long way with little educational things like that that have sort of been operationalized. Um, but that's just my theory. I can't give you any like specific reason why. It's cool to me. I, I would push back a little bit and say, that's awesome. I wish we saw it more at, at a national team and um, like world-class level because the numbers just aren't there on that sense. Um, we've got some some people that have come out, and that's amazing. But um, I don't think it's as representative at that level, and uh, I hope it will be in the future. Well, sure, it, and and you know, there's so many out athletes in college, even at major Division One, even in you know in football. Even um, I think if you look across the board in men's sports at the Olympic level, there are so few men who are out i think we had 56 out athletes in rio and four years ago and only nine were men so wow you know, I, I i i definitely hear what you're saying that that there's still a, a dearth of them at at that elite olympic level but that's across the board in men's sports and you know off the top of yeah. my head i can think of at least two gay swimmers who have a shot for next year um mm -hmm. so Actually, yep. there's three or four, actually. So so swimming will likely be the most represented among yeah. the men at the Olympics next year of, of, of all the out men. I, I always right? wonder if, 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 frankly, it just comes down to the fact that uh, swimmers and divers, and, and I know you, I know they're different sports, um, at, at, but they're, you know, we often talk about them in similar ways. Um, it's kind of like figure skating is different from hockey, even though they play on the same rink. I get it. But one of the facts is that I, I, I actually think that walking around from a very young age in a Speedo, I think it does a couple of things. It, it, it makes people comfortable with their body, makes people comfortable with other bodies. And frankly, I think that some guys are scared away from the sport because they have to wear a Speedo. And I, those are probably either, uh, those are probably 
the guys who don't want to have anything to do with gay people. So that's kind of been my theory that actually comes down to something that basic and simple. But it's great to hear some of the efforts that swimming is is making at the national level to to make it more inclusive. <laughs> what if you're right and and everything I just said, I'm like, wow, we're working on all this stuff, and it's like, no, man, it's because you're in speedos. It just comes out of that. But I mean, look, I think uh, it, it's interesting hearing you say that because those moments that you talked about, like you know, you're walking around a deck, you're learning how to be comfortable with your body. That was not my experience, and I don't want to label my experience like holistically across the board with what other people are having. But to me, as like I was terrified of, about being um, in locker rooms with my teammates. You know, um, I was I was terrified about changing. I was terrified about wearing a speedo. Like I would wear a drag suit, which is a little bit bigger. Um, I was just always really nervous about that kind of stuff. Um, but that could have been my own other stuff that I had going on, making me a little more hyper aware of things. But, um, yeah, that space to me, it made it more awkward, but it was also all I'd ever known. Um, so I just thought that was, that was life, but, uh, I don't know, we might have to do, maybe do a little research on that. It'd be an interesting peer reviewed study. And to be sure, I think that the efforts that you're talking about, when, when people will say, what can I do? to make my athletic department more feel more inclusive. I said, just start putting rainbow stickers and don't, you know, you don't want to put them on the door of a coach who's actually like a, a right. Christian homophobe, right? You, you want to make sure that where the stickers are, it is actually an inclusive space or at least, you yeah. know, receptive to be inclusive, but just having those rainbow stickers, it is such a powerful statement. And, and, and yes, you know, I, I think that visibility Visibility of out athletes, visibility of um, of support and appreciation, and just something as simple as a rainbow flag. I think I think that is the most powerful tool we have. We talk about education and speeches and trainings and all this stuff, but I just think the visibility mm -hmm. is the biggest piece at this point. Yeah, it's I, I've I didn't realize the importance of visibility until weirdly after I came out, or like maybe when I was in the process. You know, I. I wrote this essay a couple of years ago and it was like right after I came out, it was, it was for like a coaching scholarship thing. And in it, I said like, you know, I, I just, I remember being on deck at nationals and I would, I would look around and you would see like, you know, women are minority coaches there, which is crazy and stupid. And that's a whole nother conversation, but they had like, they were so well organized and they had like women's groups where they're working to be together. And, you know, they, they had something to look for. If you're a younger female coach, you had some older women that you could like, that's what it looks like. That's what it needs to be. And I just remember thinking, like, I just started hating going to nationals when I was younger because I didn't fit in. Like, I just felt like if I went out to to a bar with some older coaches and they're like, I don't know, kind of being bro-y, to be honest with you, I was like, this isn't me. Um, and I just felt like there wasn't a place for me. And and I didn't know a single gay coach at the time. This was like 2010 or so. And then over the next four years, I was like, this, I just don't like this. And then, you know, I mean – Maybe I was channeling some inner Obama, like we're the change we've been waiting for. But I was like, all right, if, if I can't just have one person that can like come out and be the example to me that like gives me permission, then I just have to be it for myself. And um, there was, I mean, that wasn't a clean, easy, courageous process. That was like 29 years of mustering up some courage before I got there. But until I, until I went through that process and really realized that myself, I didn't realize the power of visibility. Um, 
And uh, I just always try to try to remember that. And, you know, everywhere I go, every speech I'd give, I'd either usually try to have a sticker on my computer right by me or try to find some way to tie it in or, or even use humor to bring it up um, just to make anyone in that room, if I was in a room of coaches, like anyone in that room that maybe was out and didn't feel like they should be there, closeted and struggling or anywhere in between, um, just be like, hey, you can be in this room, you can be leading this room um, and be who you are. You talked about going to a bar and, and coaches being broy. I actually think it, that is the number one deterrent to furthering inclusion in, in sports across the board. Because whether you are a gay man or a woman, uh, when you walk into a sports space with straight men, they so often, and I've experienced this in, very, in, in various different roles in sports, they become broy. The beer comes out, you know, pointing at this hot woman over there. And, and, and invariably, you get two straight men together in the sports world. And it starts. And I see, I see it in the locker room. I see it in the workspace. And I actually think that that part of culture, I talk to gay athletes and, and, and they'll say, like, yeah, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear slurs much. But what I heard all the time was talk about women all yeah. the time. And it was that yeah. that actually um, was more powerful to them than if their teammate had, had used a gay slur. Yeah. 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 It's interesting hearing you say that. I mean, I remember talking at USA swimming actually with like a very dear friend of mine who is, who is, uh, he's straight, but he has been in those spaces and recognized that there is some of that in the coaching community and was like, I wouldn't feel comfortable bringing like our coworkers around that coach because I've been in this space before and this is how they acted. And I thought that was like pretty evolved. <laughs> Dude, good for you. That's great. Um, I mean, I, I think the final straw for me, I remember where I was like, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I was at a, a, a bar after a finals night. You know, we'd gone to the, the swimmers. They have heats in the morning, finals at night. And we'd gone to finals one night. And people had invited out to a bar. And, and one of my, um, like, friends that, I, that had kind of got me in the sport was there. And I guess, like, some people he was friends with had gone there. And they were like, hey, do you want a drink? And I was like, sure. And I think I got, like, a cider or something like that. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll just take one of those, like, Angry Orchard ciders. You know, I didn't even really know what I was ordering. I didn't really like beer. And uh, the guy – and I wasn't out yet. And the guy said um, – he goes, like, I don't remember if he called – if he said, what are you, a fag or okay woman or something about being gay. And I was just like, I'm not here for this anymore. Like, and I wasn't even – I mean, at that point, I was so deeply closeted that uh, that wasn't even a space. Like, he's he's making a direct insult to me. But I was just like, I do not want to be around this um, because it had been so normalized. You know, like, nobody was like, whoa, dude, like, don't say that. It was like, it was just part of it. But, you know, I, I was pretty, like, when I moved to USA Swimming, that was more of, like, an administration role. And I thought, I think there's this thing sometimes when you come out in sport, whether you're a coach or an athlete, where when you do something you've never thought you were going to do, coming out. And then, like, to me, I felt like swimming had made me conform and I had to, I had to fit in instead of belonging, right? I was, like, fitting in. And I had this bit of 
hostility and aggression towards the sport. So I thought my move to USA Swimming was going to be my way out of the sport. But I'm really thankful for my time there because it allowed me to be around some of the best people in this sport to really see that, yes, those things exist. And yes, they're real. And we need to be talking about them. And we need to change those spaces. But there are a lot of good people in this sport and that would never support that stuff. And they weren't at those bars, you know. Um, and I don't know any of those people that I've fallen in love, that made me fall in love with swimming all over again, that would have been there and they would have said something. So that job really gave me a lot of faith through my interaction with coaches. And it was never a secret that I was gay. Um, and they were just always like, let's get to work, let's do this. And then I developed a lot of good friendships with them. So I'm really thankful for my time there because otherwise my experience of like what it meant to be a part of the coach community probably would have ended at the bar that night. Um, and that that's pretty tragic. Another one of the things on your website is you talk about being a diversity and inclusion champion. And obviously, you know, being an out man uh, is, is, is a natural step toward being that and, and helping to change some of these spaces. What else does it mean to you to be a diversity and inclusion champion? Yeah, I mean, look, I think if I'm being honest with myself, I've not done enough in my career to be anti-racist. You know, I think we all had to take a pretty hard look in the, in the mirror this year and, and, you know, what have we done and, and having some conversations with some black athletes that I've coached, you know, none of them were, have ever said anything like they were all like, Mitch, you were great, you know, but I, I, I'm still wrestling with that one. How could I have been better? How can I be better? What can we do? Um, on on not just like, a, hey, I'm going to post stuff on social and hey, I'm going to donate money. Um, like, how can we make that show up in this space and not just like advocacy work? So what does that look like when we're recruiting? Um, you know, so those are some things that I'm, I'm really working on with my boss here, Carol. We're having some conversations about it. So that's that's one thing that I want to grow on because I remember writing that on the website and um, I was coming from a place of like LGBT inclusion, you know, but you can't say those words like I'm a diversity include an inclusion champion and like and put yourself in a silo for what you're going to champion. It needs to be pretty holistic. So um, I just want to say that up front. So I don't sound like I'm tooting my own horn or anything because well, I mean, we got to yeah. We got to be real about that. And, and And, you know, swimming in the United States is a pretty a pretty white sport and i was Very curious white. how you you know you are recruiting and identifying people to keep your eye on and cultivate i was curious if if you took some of these issues uh, if you had in the past or if you plan to going forward if you took some of these issues um and 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 became a dni champion in the recruiting and development space yeah, I, you know, it's funny, like I do, it's not funny, that's the wrong word. I'm trying to be more intentional, language, especially when we're talking about these things. But it is. it was refreshingly surprising when I really looked back on my time at Princeton and um, especially for an Ivy League school, and maybe not especially for an Ivy League school, especially for the um, reputation Ivy League school has, and especially in swimming. I'm, I was pretty happy with um, the work we'd done on that. And, and, and there were athletes that we supported for admission that 
I was like, man, how big would this be? How good could this be for our sport? How good for this could this be for our team? But it's like, it's never enough. Like you can't, you can't have a token. That's just ridiculous. And people will like maybe have that on their roster and not know they're doing that. But if you just have like, if you think that the work ends with one person so that that one person can have visibility, like that's not enough. That person should have teammates that can relate to their experience in the sport. Um, like that's one thing Carol and I have talked about is like, if we can, if we can have a space here on the deck of Texas where, you know, black women growing up in the sport, black women growing up in Texas want to get into the sport and they know Texas is a place where they can thrive and, and their experiences are recognized and they can thrive. Like how powerful would that be for those women? So um, we're trying to work on that in our recruitment and what that looks like and um, how do we do that responsibly and um, it's not a finished product yet, but we're, we're working on it. You're having the conversation. That's, you know, that's where it starts. So yeah, um, that, that's great to hear. Uh, well, I, 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 uh, I so appreciate you taking the time and chatting with me. Uh, I have like 80 more questions, but, but I'm going to cut it down to two that I end every podcast with. And one is uh, I know you have a very special, unique um, history with Lord of the Rings. So talk about that. Yeah, I, I, I think it was fourth grade. We did a play at our school on The Hobbit. And, you know, I was, I knew I was gay when I was younger. And I had this weird thing with like, oh, I loved being in theater and plays, but at the same time, like, don't put the spotlight on me because I'm terrified you'll see who I am. So I'd somehow like, convinced my teacher that I had a role as the understudy like everyone had to have a role and I was Bilbo's understudy and then like a week out of the play the teacher realized like oh my god you don't have a role in this your parents are going to be here like what are you doing and I was like well what if I just like was the narrator and did the intro um so I like set the stage and I came on the, the the stage and I was like imagine a world I was like you know the the movie trailer guy um so but I, I loved Bilbo. That was like, that was my dude. Um, that was my character. Uh, but um, it was, I did end up sitting on the stage there. And I think I also said something after intermission and my mom said all the other parents were like laughing and getting pissed because I knew everyone's line. So I was like mouthing the words and it was really distracting. But uh, yeah, Bilbo was my man. Uh, well, I guess if you want to take, take the metaphor uh, to the next level, Bilbo was able to disappear when he wanted to. And I guess as a, as a closeted gay kid, that was enticing. We're getting deep. I like it. <laughs> See, oh, I can, I can talk Lord of the Rings for a long time. Uh, <laughs> the second question is to tell us an Olympian who has inspired you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up, I was so lucky. I grew up um, in Washington, D.C. around, there was always a swimmer from D.C. that was either an Olympian or trying to make it. Um, I also grew up in Australia for most of my childhood. And, and I was on this team that we had, um, this athlete, her name was Haley Lewis. She was this amazing distance swimmer, uh, another 200 butterfly, Heath Ramsey. And then this like swimming icon, his name was Kieran Perkins. Um, I just was like, so inspired by him, but I think I, when I looked at those Olympians, it was sort of almost like celebrity, you know, I don't know if they inspired me. It was, it was like, wow, that's, that person's a celebrity kind of thing. The person that first made me realize, like, this is what it means to be an Olympian uh, is a lady named Sarah Hendershot. Her 
she's now married. I was an officiant at her wedding. So, but her last name is now Lombardi. Um, but I lived with Sarah when I was at Princeton and her husband, Mike was coaching the rowing team. And she was like a national teamer who um, was kind of in the mix, but wasn't going to make it an eight, so, which is their main boat. So she kind of got put in a pair and it, it sort of looked like they were not going to be able to make it. And um, the, the selection system there, if you're coming from an objective system like swimming, it's crazy ridiculous how subjective their system is. But they'd basically been given like no chance and they weren't invited to go on a couple trips and stuff. So they kind of had to stay back and just train, train, train together. And uh, I got to see like living with someone trying to make the Olympics. You learn what it means to be an Olympian. It's not going to a competition. It's going to bed at 830. It's like controlling everything that goes into your body. It's um, leaning into the people that that really mean a lot to you because you can't go out and socialize and do a lot of things like you sacrifice so much. And I didn't see that until I lived with her. And it's given me a new appreciation. Like when I went to USA swimming and was working with all these Olympians, I, I get it now, but Sarah's a dear friend of mine. If it wasn't for living with her and Mike and, and being at the right place at the right time, I don't know if I come out when I did. Um, so she still inspires me. She just had a baby like two weeks ago and she's just, a kick-ass badass woman so if i have a daughter one day she better be like her well well that's an amazing story thank you for for sharing that i'm going to track track her down and read up a little on her uh and like yeah, i said thank awesome. you for thank you for um thank you for sharing and wish you nothing but the best and i hope you find a ton of super fun gay friends in austin let me tell you they are everywhere there I'm learning that like it's, it's refreshing, you know, in Colorado Springs, it was, um, if, if I matched with someone on Tinder or something, right. Like I would maybe go to their Instagram, check it out. And they, they were in the military or something. And it was pretty chill. Uh, like now it's like, you can kind of see the gay groups that are in Austin, but it's awesome. Like it's so fun and so cool. And it's been great meeting some people already in the first couple of weeks. And I appreciate that. I just want to say thank you for doing this. Um, you know, we talked about visibility today. It's, it's one thing to live it. It's another to, you know, organize it the way you have with, without sports, with a podcast, um, with the social media presence and really putting teeth into that. So just thanks for all you do. You can follow Mitch Dalton on Instagram at Dalton MJ on Twitter. Just search Mitch Dalton. He, it's, it's Mitch Dalton NJT. So it's a lot, but just search Mitch, Mitch Dalton. I'm sure he'll come up. Next week, we're going to stay in the pool. We have a very interesting interview with a, an aspiring Olympic diver and his father. I, th- I, I think this is going to be our interview next week. They've said they're going to chat with me. So, um, But we got a, a lot of other things, very fascinating, interesting things coming up. So come back to us next week and the week after and the week after that, and we will talk to you then.